You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense Podcast brought to you by Radio.com. Of course, you can listen to it on all of your podcast apps and the Radio.com sports app. I am Elliot Shore-Parks along with the one and only Brian Baldinger. What up, Baldy? How you doing? Elliot, I'm good. I'm really good. Uh, I'm out here in L.A. filming a new show uh, for the NFL Network. Pretty excited about it. And uh, I'll be headed to Cleveland this week, which is one of the most bizarre lines I've ever seen, Elliot. The two and six Browns. Host the six and two Buffalo Bills and the Browns are a three point favorite. So I guess I guess people think that the Browns still have a chance to come out of this um, season long funk they've been in uh, to take down the Buffalo. So I mean I I'm ready to go. It's week ten. There was a frost on the pumpkin this week in the East Coast here, Elliot. So football season is officially here, and I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, there were some reports of snow up in uh, New Jersey already. So I know you're not dealing with that out, out in L.A., but back in the East Coast, it is indeed football weather. And I want to start. We're, we're going to do something a little different today. I have, a, I have a bunch of true or false questions for you. So we're going to go over a bunch of things in the NFL right now. But I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to say true or false. And we're going to start with the game that I know you were most excited for last week. I'm sure you've probably watched the tape three or four times at this point. Baltimore Ravens, New England Patriots. Here was my biggest takeaway from that game. So I ask you, Baldy, true or false? Lamar Jackson is the NFL MVP. Yes. And I've said it after they beat Seattle in Seattle when he was a better player than Russell Wilson that day. And I know all the names from, you know, Aaron Rodgers to Russell Wilson to Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I know all the names out there that have been bandied about for MVP, but Almost every single Sunday, there's not a better player on the field than Lamar Jackson. He was the best player on the field, going up against the best defense in football by a wide margin. And there was really no containing his talent and where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. And you you saw those sideline shots of Bill Belichick with the grease board, encouraging his players and that linebacking core of his or what to do to stop this guy. And they really had no answer. For him, he scored the game's first touchdown. He, sca- he scored the game's final touchdown, and uh, on the opening drive, he was sensational. And then he threw the one touchdown pass to Nick Boyle when the Ravens did, or the, the Patriots did everything they could to take his first two options away. They didn't have any answer for it. So in my mind, you can't have the discussion. I don't know that Lamar Jackson is going to win the MVP, uh, Elliot, but you can't have the discussion of league MVP and not talk about Lamar Jackson right now. So I think at this point, it's a it's a two-horse race. And I think it's Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. There's no denying what Christian McCaffrey is doing is very special out there. But when I look at the NFL, NFL MVPs, I'm looking at 
Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson, and there's still a lot of season to be played. But what I saw on Sunday night in Baltimore was the NFL MVP. He took the best team in the NFL, and maybe the Ravens are the best team now, but on going into that game, the Patriots were viewed as the best team in the NFL. He took that team, put his own team on his back, and put 37 points up on defense that was allowing, I think, what, six or seven points on average leading up to that. When you look at what Lamar is doing, and you mentioned it, Bill Belichick is still the best defensive mind in the league. We've seen him shut down guys like Marshall Falk. We've seen him do impossible things against really good Mm -hmm. offenses. He had no answer for Lamar Jackson. And the way Lamar Jackson moves in the pocket is just different. Like, I know he's a running quarterback, and obviously he does his damage that way. He had two running touchdowns on Sunday night. But the way he glides around the pocket and still keeps his eyes down the field, I think is a vastly underrated part of his game. I mean, you look at what he's done this season, and he is the NFL MVP. Like, if they don't have Lamar Jackson, this team is maybe a playoff team, but they're certainly not where they're at now. I think he's far and away the NFL MVP. So I think this is absolutely a true statement. But let me ask you this. If the Ravens and the Patriots play again, who do you who do you like there? Because I would be very interested to see what Belichick would have up his sleeve for the rematch now that he's kind of seen the Ravens game plan one time. Well, the only way they could see each other again is in the playoffs. And that might yes. very well happen. So then you got to kind of advance forward to January where the Patriots are almost unbeatable at home. And the chances are that that the game is going to be in Foxborough right now, the way the records look and the way things are going. It's probably going to be in Foxborough. And so then is it a completely different game? If there's ice, snow, negative temperatures, all the things that are possible, winds howling, all the things that are possible, does that – slow down Lamar Jackson? Does that slow down this um, this offense that is on still on pace to set an NFL record for rushing yards in a season? And obviously a big part of that is all Lamar Jackson. I got to believe that the second time around, the Patriots will form, firm things up. But even if they try to change things, I saw them take away, try to take Lamar Jackson away. That makes sense. Keep him in the pocket. All these different things they try to do, They didn't have an answer for it. And I don't know that they're going to have an answer for it the second time around. Now, you know, maybe the Patriots offense is better. Maybe their offensive line plays better. Maybe, you know, Muhammad Sanu, maybe all these different guys are just Ben Watson. All these guys are kind of new acquisitions. Maybe they blend better. Brady plays better. But to answer your question, the second time around, I'm still taking the Ravens. Yeah, I, I think it will be the AFC championship. I think that's what we're looking at. And if it's in Foxborough, like I agree with you, going into Foxborough in the playoffs and winning there is almost impossible. I mean, we saw like Mark Sanchez do it, right? So anything could happen. But overall, it's very tough to go in there and win. But this, this, so this leads me to my second question, because I do think on Sunday night we saw a bit of a recipe for the way to beat the Patriots. You just run it down their throat. You get physical. You run it down their throat. The, so here, here's my question for you, Baldy. True or false? The Patriots were exposed on Sunday night. No, I'm not ready to say that. I mean, I know what the what the stats say, and I know the, the yards that they they gave up. A lot of those were scrambles and running yards mm-hmm. again. Um, and so, but I'm not ready to say that that's the recipe. I mean, I, that, every team uh, once when, when they get run on, everybody says, "Well, that's what they need to do." They got well, you got to be able to stay in running situations. You got to keep the third downs. 
you know, to a minimum. You got to be able to convert third downs to stay on the field. And Lamar did that. I mean, fourth down and four, you know, he found Willie Sneed. Third and three, he finds Mark Andrews. I mean, they converted uh, a high percentage of third and fourth downs to be able to stay on the field to keep that running game going. And that's always the difficult thing to do. But the Ravens have been doing that on a regular basis. So, um, you know, I, that's not going to change. That's who the Ravens are. They want to run the football. They run it better than any other team in football by a wide margin over the 49ers and, and anybody else that's out there. So that is who they are. So that's the question is, can they stop the Ravens from being who they are? And I don't know that anybody can stop them right now. They're averaging 205 yards a game. You know, that is a record, record pace right now. And that's a brutal pace. We'll see if they can keep that up. Yeah, here in Philadelphia, the Eagles are off this week, but then the Patriots come to town. And there was some, there's some optimism in Philadelphia because of the fact that they saw the Ravens go there and run the ball against the Patriots with success. And the Eagles so far have been great running the ball. I tend to agree with you. I don't think the Patriots were exposed on Sunday night. They are great at making adjustments, obviously, with Bill Belichick. Again, in a rematch, we'll see what happens. But if anyone thinks that they're just going to go out and do that against the, the Patriots every Sunday, they're kidding themselves. Because like you said, you have to get in those situations. You have to be able to, to run the ball. I mean, if you're down 14 nothing, if you're constantly in third and longs, you're not able to do that. So I agree. I think that's a false. Let's keep it in the AFC. Uh, last week, the Chiefs come out with a win on the last second field goal over the Vikings. Matt Moore played played really well, 25 of 35, 275 yards. He had a touchdown, no interceptions, was sacked five times, but that Vikings defensive line is very good. So let me ask you, true or false, Andy Reid is more important than Patrick Mahomes? Well, I, I'll say no. And I understand that I was there announcing that game Sunday at Arrowhead, so I watched what Matt Moore did. And Matt Moore, who was out of football a year ago, um, you know, he's home with his family in Santa Clarita, California. Nobody gave him a call. He comes in there during training camp this year, and he plays great football last week. I mean, they they matched up uh, Tyreek Hill and Trey Wayans, and they went after him uh, three or four times for huge plays, including the opening touchdown of the game, a 40-yarder. Um, Trey Wayans, the Vikings had no answer, and really Matt Moore made some sensational plays. So you're saying, okay, well, if Matt Moore can do that to a really good defense, then it's Andy Reid that's more important than Patrick Mahomes. But I, I'm not going to read. I'm not ready to say that. I think when Patrick Mahomes comes back, whether it's you know this week or next week, um, I think we're going to see a guy that's just different than everybody else. He's going to have the full complement of weapons from Tyreek Hill, who he had he didn't have for much of the season while he was out there this year uh, when he was healthy, along with Miko Hardman and 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 really the whole complement right now, Watkins and and Robinson and Kelsey. I mean, they are a track team. Just a flat-out track team. And I don't know that anybody's going to stop this offense when Patrick Mahomes gets back. And so while Andy Reid is important because he can get these matchups and create this offense um, from a schematic standpoint, uh, I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to light this team on fire when he gets back. I talked to him on the field briefly Sunday. He's just itching to get out there and play. And I think he's going to play as good, if not better, than we saw last year when he was at that MVP level. So I don't mean this as a slight at Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes is one of the three best quarterbacks in the league. And if you're looking towards the future, he's definitely the quarterback that has the brightest future. I mean, Lamar Jackson's maybe in that conversation now, but Patrick Mahomes is the guy. That being said, I think this is a true statement. I think Andy Reid is more important at this point to their success than Patrick Mahomes. And the reason I'll say that is as good as Mahomes is, you look around the league 
And you see a lot of talented quarterbacks that have bad head coaches and they just aren't doing well. Like Sam Darnold is a talented quarterback. And I know that's an extreme situation compared to Patrick Mahomes. But he's a talented quarterback, and Adam Gase is killing him there. And when you see Andy Reid's offense, I mean, I covered it for years here in Philadelphia, and it's transferred to Kansas City. His offense, what makes the Chiefs so special is he has an elite offense, and when you add an elite quarterback to that, obviously you're going to get a ton of points. But just watch what he does with Matt Moore. I think if the Chiefs even had you know, a competent-type quarterback, like a Kirk Cousins, per se, or somebody like that, they would have a lot of success. So I, But I don't think if Patrick Mahomes was with another head coach that didn't have a great offensive scheme, it would be tougher for him to succeed. And it's interesting how when you look around the league, Jared Goff, a lot of his success is credited to Sean McVay, right? Like, And you see that with different head coaches and quarterbacks, but you don't hear that as much with Andy Reid. Now, maybe it's because Patrick Mahomes is just supremely talented and that's clear on the field, but I think Andy Reid's done a fantastic job bringing him along. And I think time after time, Kyle Shanahan's in the discussion now, Sean McVay, obviously, but Andy Reid is probably still the best offensive mind in the game. And for the Chiefs to succeed long-term and to advance, if I had to pick one or the other, I think I would pick Andy Reid. Well, I mean, look, 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, Elliot, is is a different conversation because Andy Reid can scheme up plays and get guys open and really attack in ways a lot of people don't have the creative mind to do. But there is the X's and O's of a play that Andy Reid can draw up. And then there's a few quarterbacks like Mahomes, like Russell Wilson, like Lamar Jackson that just play beyond the X's and O's. And when things get taken away and things break down, that's when Mahomes really does his sensational work. And I think that's the part where, you know, they need each other. Um, The one thing I'd love, though, Elliot, and I don't understand why more teams don't do this. Especially, you, you mentioned, you know, Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. I mean, if you watch every single series that the Kansas City Chiefs play, when that series is over, Andy Reid goes and he sits down with Patrick Mahomes, or right now, Matt Moore, and he reviews the series of what just happened, what they saw. Uh, and I've listened to the wires of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes still calls Andy Reid yes sir, no sir. During a game, he does. But why is it that Let's just say Adam Gase in New York. And I'm not here to pick on Adam Gase. They have their own issues. But you've got Greg Williams running the defense. Adam Gase should be sitting next to Sam Darnold after every series and reviewing what he saw, what he liked, getting ready for the next series, what they what they think they can do, a play that's going to work, what's their third down package. And that's what Andy Reid does after every series. And so I, to your point, I give Andy Reid a lot of credit because he does things with his quarterbacks that I don't see enough – coaches do with their quarterbacks so we'll get to the next question here and it's probably the polar opposite of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes at this point and you're going to be seeing them this weekend it's the Cleveland Browns rough week for Cleveland once again true or false Baldy Baker Mayfield is going to be a bust no I don't agree with that I I I know that the the stats say he's not playing well uh I I could pull out three games this year um the Rams Seattle, and last week against Denver, where if they can make a, a fourth down conversion or gain a yard when they need a yard, they're fourth and one at the five-yard line of Denver with the game in the balance at 17-12 game. They got to gain a yard. And they can't gain a yard. They're down there, first and goal at the four against the Rams, and they throw four straight incompletions, and the plays really don't have much design to them. I mean, this team, as bad as they are, the most penalized team in the football 
Um, Baker's gone backwards statistically. All that stuff is true. But they still, in within the the moments of games, have a chance to easily have won the three of these games that they've lost. So, so I don't think he's going to be a bust. I don't. I, I believe that his confidence has been shaken, and I didn't think that was possible. But I don't believe that Baker Mayfield will be a bust or is a bust. Um, I, I think this guy can come out of this. I think his he's still got too much talent. Be nice if Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham caught passes in key spots in that game last Sunday when the ball went right through their fingertips. Um, but uh, they don't, that small part of being playing quarterback and being able to handle all that, I think that Baker has a chance of actually coming out of this and actually becoming a better player because I think he's enduring the worst, and it might get worse before it even gets better this year. But I would think that there is a chance to grow out of this horrible, horrible situation in Cleveland this year. What concerns me about Baker isn't so much his off-the-field stuff. I think that's what a lot of people will lean on when you talk about whether he's going to be a bust. I mean, again, he you know he snaps at a reporter in Cleveland. His post-game attire after that loss is certainly getting dragged on the internet. So there is some off-the-field stuff with Baker, but that's not my biggest concern. My concern is the interceptions he throws. 14 last season in 14 games. He has 12 in eight games this year. So only seven touchdowns. So almost twice as many interceptions as touchdowns. And I don't think the head coach is doing him any favors. But when I see a young quarterback, when you're a rookie, if you want to throw interceptions, I get that. Like you're adjusting to the league. But he's played 22 games in the NFL now. And to have 26 interceptions in 22 games is not good. Like that is a major red flag to me. That's like Jameis Winston type turnovers going on there and so that's why although I'm not ready to say he's definitely going to be a bust I do lean that way and I think I would be very surprised if he ever if he ever succeeded in Cleveland I just think that organization right now it's proven obviously over long term to be a mess but the next question I'll ask you because it plays right into it and I, I will say this one is true to me true or false Freddie Kitchens is the worst head coach in the NFL right now well, I think there's some candidates there. I mean, I don't oh, know what Zach Taylor. I mean, Elliot, yeah. look, I mean, I don't know what Zach Taylor is doing in Cincinnati right now. And I'm not so sure who, you know, Bill Callahan in Washington is any better, even though he's the interim head coach yeah, or Adam Gase in New York or Pat Shermer yeah. in New York. I mean, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot, there's a big conversation for worst coaching job in the league right now, not to mention what Dan Quinn has done in Atlanta. I mean, they, they're much more talented than any of the other teams that we're talking about right now. And they're one in seven and, you know, maybe as bad a defense as I've seen. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, coaches right now that could be in that conversation to go with Freddie Kitchens. So let, let's run through it really quick. I mean, Adam Gase, you know, we obviously let our feelings be known on the Jets last week on the pod. I think he's a complete disaster. But. The Jets don't have the talent that the that the Browns have. I know that we, we could we could debate Baker versus Sam Darnold for sure, um, and you can maybe even lead lead in Sam Darnold. But they don't have the receivers. Uh, they don't have the tight end that that the Browns have. They don't have the running backs. Now the Browns' offensive line is a bit of a mess, and that's the GM's fault for trading away you know one of their best offensive linemen for Olivier Vernon. But the, I think that the Browns overall have more talent. Pat Shermer, I'll say this about Shermer. He's somewhat impressed me this year only because the Giants are more competitive in games than I thought they would be. Even that game against the Cowboys, I know the final score looked ugly, but they were in that game, you know, up up until midway through the third quarter. They're competitive each week. 
the Bengals, I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen a lot of Bengals tape. I know you obviously have. They're, they're clearly a disaster. But Andy Dalton was one of the better quarterbacks statistically in the league in terms of yards yards thrown up, up until uh, he was benched, obviously. So when I look at those other teams compared to what the Browns were supposed to be, the Browns have Odell Beckham Jr. They have Jarvis Landry. They have Baker Mayfield, who's supposed to be one of the better young quarterbacks in the league. They're in a division that really, other than the Ravens, is winnable. I mean, the Steelers are not supposed to be ha- the Steelers are not supposed to have a better record than the Browns right now. Freddie Kitchens for to have that much power in offense and to be the hand-picked coach of Baker Mayfield, like that's who he wanted, and to have him struggle like that. Of all these guys we talked about, Gase is a train wreck for sure, but I think Freddie Kitchens is doing the worst job on the field. Well, it's just, you know, I, I'm still scratching my head here, Elliot, how Baker Mayfield last year could set an NFL record for touchdowns by a rookie quarterback in 13 starts. I mean, I, I, I still, that's, that, that can't just be a mirage. Um, all the way up until week 17 in Baltimore, almost knocking the Ravens out of the playoffs. I mean, what he did last year was real. Now, they don't have the same team. There's no Kevin Zeitler. There's no David Njoku. I mean, the team isn't the same. Um, so I, I'm, I'm still waiting to see how that happened last year and how it could be completely reversed this year. And Freddie called those plays last year during those most of those four, uh, 27 touchdown passes that Baker threw. So I'm not ready to just say this is the worst coaching job ever. I, I do think that if you're the most penalized team in football, that falls on the head coach. And if yes. you are undisciplined, and I, that is all part of coaching, as we know. And if you turn the ball over against the, the Patriots in the first quarter, three straight plays in a row, at some point it falls on the coach. I mean, I know Nick Chubb fumbled twice and, you know, Baker threw an interception on a shovel pass. I mean, all those things happen. So I'm not going to negate that. And it does all fall on the coach. Um, I want to see Cleveland this week against Buffalo and see if the second half of this season, there is a reversal before I say that Freddie has done the worst job because I think there's other candidates out there right now. Yeah, well, I think we can both agree Freddie's definitely on the hot seat. I mean, if this thing doesn't turn around in the final eight games, I think you're going to see him, you know, seriously, serious consideration to be fired there. Maybe a candidate would be Lincoln Riley to come and coach his boy Baker again. But I do think there's a deep, pretty good shot Freddie's not in, in Cleveland next year. Another head coach that's not on the hot seat because he just won coach of the year last year. But the Bears are, are a mess right now. I saw him firsthand in Philadelphia. And I know Mitchell Trubisky is not a good quarterback at this point. He certainly has his flaws. But they had negative nine yards of offense with a few minutes to go in the first half. Like, that's on the head coach. That's a complete lack of preparation that's just being completely out coached like Trubisky is not why they had negative nine yards that takes a complete failure at all levels and that mm-hmm. falls on the head coach so I don't think Trubisky is either going to be there next year or probably as a backup but let me ask you true or false Cam Newton will be the Chicago Bears starting quarterback next season well I think that um I don't think Cam is going to be the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers next year I think as an organization, they're ready to move on. And I don't know that Kyle Allen is the answer. Uh, they may draft a guy. Um, we'll see. They drafted a quarterback last year. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but I don't believe that Cam Newton is going to be the quarterback next year. Now, we have seen many quarterbacks have um, really good parts to the start of their career. I mean, this is, what, the ninth year for Cam Newton, eighth or ninth year right now? Uh, we have seen him be the league MVP. We have seen other quarterbacks have – 
a, a good run in one place, Drew Bledsoe. We've seen plenty of quarterbacks have a good run in one place, and whatever whatever happens, I mean, whether it's injuries, whatever, it's time for them to move on. I do think that that is a real possibility. I haven't really thought about landing spots for Cam Newton right now, but they have to have a change at quarterback. I don't disagree that um, the Chicago Bears may make a change. I mean, last year with Vic Fangio, they led the league in takeaways and defensive touchdowns, and they're nowhere near any of that this year. That helped sort of cover up some of the deficiencies that the offense did have a year ago um, and allow them to get on a run and win the NFC North. And there is no Vic Fangio. The defense isn't nearly as coordinated as it was last year. Um, They miss Akeem Hicks tremendously. Uh, I know that uh, Khalil Mack misses him tremendously. They don't have that interior uh, presence that Akeem Hicks gives you. And so all those things you know, put them in a position where they've lost four in a row and they are a disaster. They are not in the race in the NFC North and won't be. And so you're right. I mean, I just think that this thing could get blown out pretty quickly. Here's why I would say true. I look around the league and I, I think Cam Newton is going to be a starting quarterback next year. Now, does he deserve that? I don't know because he hasn't been that good in his last eight games. I think he has more in uh, more turnovers than in, than touchdowns in his last eight games. And I think he's 0-8 in his last eight starts or something terrible like that. But that being said, Cam Newton is going to be a starter next year. I think he's talented. He has the name. He has the reputation. He has the resume. There's going to be a team out there that makes him a starting quarterback. So when I look around the league, I say, okay, where's that spot going to be? And there's just really not a lot of teams right now that you think could make a change at quarterback. Because they've either drafted a young guy or they're, you know, they're committed to somebody else. I mean, maybe Tampa Bay, maybe Tennessee. Those could be two spots. But if you're Cam Newton, you look around and you say, okay, I'm not going to be in Carolina. I can still win. He still believes in himself. He wants to try to win, right? The Chicago Bears, I agree the defense is not as good. But I saw them last week in Philadelphia. And they're still a defense you can win with, for sure. I mean, they're still a top 10 unit. You could maybe argue top 8, top 5 around there. Because as long as you have a Khalil Mack, it's going to be the case. Then they'll get Akeem Hicks back. I think Cam Newton looks around and he says, Chicago's a place that I can win. And I think that Mitchell Trubisky, through his fault or not, mostly his fault, but you know, I think he he could develop into something. Who knows? But I just think a change is needed there. I think the fans are frustrated with him. I think the head coach is frustrated with him. The defense is frustrated. The offense hasn't lived up to to the hype because let's be honest, if they had a really good offense last year, they're probably in the Super Bowl or at least in the championship game. It was the defense. The defense did their role. So maybe a change of scenery does good for Cam. And I actually think that would be a great landing spot for him uh, heading into next year. So I, I think the I think Cam to the Bears is something we're going to hear about as the offseason rolls on. But that's still a few months from now. One decision that was made about quarterback recently is down in Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars have said they're going to go back to Nick Foles at quarterback in week 11 when they return. Baldy, I think that was the correct decision to go back to Nick Foles. So I'll ask you, true or false? The Jaguars were correct to go back to Nick Foles. Well, they scored three points against the Texans. But when you go back and you watch the game, Gardner Minshew, I know statistically he threw two interceptions and he fumbled twice. That all happened in the final seven and a half minutes in the game when the game was completely out of bounds. It was 26 to three. Deshaun Watson put on a show. Um, So when you score three points and you fall below 500 after nine games, you go back to the guy that you vested all the money in. I mean, I think Gardner Minshew played as well as he could play. And I believe Gardner Minshew could still be a starting quarterback this league. He still played well at times in the game Sunday. Uh, Yeah, a few balls did get away from him. There's no question about it. I saw DJ Chark uh, drop a ball. I saw Chris Conley drop two. 
um, perfectly placed balls. I saw him scramble by time, get out of harm's way. I mean, I saw him do a lot of good things. Um, but I do think that's the right decision. I mean, I understand that Nick Foles got hurt right off the bat, but you gave him a, a big, big check to get your team into the postseason. They're four and five. They've seen what Gardner Minshew can do. Now let's see if Nick Foles can play at a level. I don't think this is possible. But can he play at a level of Deshaun Watson, who was, who was just sensational? I mean, he's just a joy to watch, complete control. He keeps getting better. But they're going to win that division right now, um, even without J.J. Watt and with all kinds of injuries to wide receivers. Um, they're going to win that division right now because of the play of Deshaun Watson. They've got to elevate their quarterback play, period. I mean, Leonard Fournette is having a great year. they got to make that run game pay off, and Nick Foles has is, is got to be the answer right now if they're going to challenge uh, both the Texans and the Colts uh, down the backstretch here for a playoff spot. Yeah, so I hate – when different teams, when you see decisions made from a personnel basis based off of salary and what you've invested in the guy. I saw it here in Philadelphia. I saw Nick Foles take the Eagles on a magical run to the Super Bowl, and then I saw him do it the next year in the playoffs. And the reason they stuck with Carson over Foles is you can debate the talent, but they were never going to give him that job. Like, Carson was a number two overall pick. They were going to, you know, they end up giving him a huge contract. Like, they were going to stick with Carson. And I really think that, although I hate to see it, in Jacksonville, like that's what's going to happen. The reason Foles is back is because you gave him all that money. You have to put him in there and see what he can do. And I know it was only a, you know a series or two, but he did have a touchdown early on. And I just think he's a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew right now. I think Gardner can develop into it. I love the accuracy from uh, from Minshew. I think that that's a very encouraging sign going forward. Uh, I think he's. I think you're right. Like he's played at a level higher than what the offensive output overall indicates. And maybe this offseason, you know, you can move, you can trade him for something of value, or maybe you trade Foles, I don't know. But you gave Foles all that money. I want to put him back in there if I'm the Jaguars, and I want to see what he can do and to see if we were right to give him all that money. I mean, they talked about changing the culture there in Jacksonville. Foles going in and doing that gives gives him a chance to change that culture. So I think they're, they're making the right decision. Uh, here's another good quarterback one for you, and this is one that certainly is debated in Philadelphia. True or false? Would you pick Dak Prescott to start a team over Carson Wentz? Uh, no, I'd still take Carson. Uh, but, I mean, it's a good debate. I mean, they're in the same draft, and they both, you know, I mean, Dak has stayed healthier than, than you know, obviously. But I, I've seen Dak struggle, uh, you know, and I've seen Carson struggle, and I've seen them both play great football. Um, you know, I mean, you could go look at all the stats and all the numbers and you could probably glean what you want out of all those things. But I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily at this point uh, take Dak over Carson. I mean, Carson's injuries are his injuries. And so you go, OK, is he injury prone? Well, I know he's playing healthy right now this year, but I'm, I'm not ready to say that about Carson over Dak. I mean, I think that's a good discussion there. They compete each, uh, against each other every year. There's a big game coming up. Uh, in a few more weeks between those two guys. And so, you know, Carson's going to have a good chance to, to you know, go amend the, the loss that they had against Dallas a couple of weeks ago down there. But I, I'm not ready to say that Dak is the better starting quarterback right now. I love Dak's poise. I love Carson's athletic ability and his competitive fire. Um, I, I see some weaknesses in both quarterbacks that you could pick apart for sure. But I'm, I'm I think that, 
Dak is in a good place in Dallas, and I think Carson's in a good place in Philadelphia. Let me ask you before I get my answer. What do you think are some of the weaknesses in both guys' games? Well, I think uh, when you come down to just pure accuracy with Dak, I think you can say, okay, in a big spot, and he's got to make stick throws, can he do that? I think there's questions of whether he can do that. He didn't do it against the Rams in a playoff game last year. I think there's questions about that. I think with Carson, I just think right now he doesn't have nearly the receiving core that Dak has. I'd like to see a receiving core of Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb and a running back like Zeke. I'd like to see him with that core. Now, you can't have that, so it's not fair. But I I do think that right now Carson is not throwing the ball with the level of anticipation that he has to Mm -hmm. throw. And I think that's a weakness right now. And why is that? I mean, is that just trust? Does he believe that the the player is going to be ready when he throws the ball? Why doesn't he pull the trigger earlier um, and and not trust what he's going to see? Um, Zach Ertz coming open in the end zone last week. I mean, there's a throw ready to be made. Uh, He can make that throw. I've seen him make that throw. But he didn't make it. Same thing the week before. So against Buffalo, I mean, I think there's throws to be made. I think there was throws to be made against Dallas in the loss against his own defense. So I think Dak, it's just pure accuracy in big spots. And with Carson right now, I would say, can is he trusting what he's seeing or is he seeing what he's supposed to see? Yeah, the reason I think it's such an interesting debate is because when you look at the resumes of both players, there's really no reason to take Carson. I mean, Dak consistently beats him in a one-on-one matches. Dak has a far better resume in terms of win-loss record. We've seen Dak win big games. We haven't seen that with Carson. You mentioned Dak's accuracy. Carson right now, I believe, is 23rd in the league in completion percentage, and that's an improvement. He's been in around 30 or 32 most of the year, but he had a good game against the Bears in terms of uh, completing a high percentage of his passes. I think he was around 70% in that game. So I think accuracy has been an issue for Carson. Now, in terms of being able to make certain throws, I would agree with you. Like Carson can make every throw in the book. He has a strong enough arm. He can do whatever you want. His his only uh, issue is just he's inconsistent. I mean, he can put a ball on an absolute laser 15 yards on on a rope down to Alshon Jeffrey and Alshon drops it but and everyone points to Alshon but then Carson misses Darren Sproles on a third and one on a relatively easy pass so Carson's been pretty inconsistent I do like Dak as a pure leader I think that you see the guys around him in Dallas kind of rally around him a lot more than you see guys rally around Carson in Philadelphia and I will say in Philadelphia, I'm, I'm known as like the number one Carson hater. That being said, I would take Carson over Dak simply because I just think he's a more talented player. That's really it. I mean, Dak has a way to win, and I, I certainly respect that about him. But if I'm building a team and starting from ground zero, I would take Carson Wentz. But it, it's definitely a debate. And when, when Carson went number two overall and Dak got one in the fourth round, it's not great for the Eagles that it's, that it's a debate at this point. But let's debate two other quarterbacks, uh, two guys in New York that we both agree have really bad head coaches, but two guys are going to be playing against each other for, for years to come. True or false, Daniel Jones is better than Sam Darnold. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't say that right now. I mean, he's fumbled the ball away eight times. Yeah. I mean, he just – I mean, his ball security is as bad as it gets right now. Uh, you know, just watching him scramble for a first down the other day, and I'm just watching what Dallas did. I'm Dallas just staring at the football. I mean, if Xavier Rhodes doesn't punch the ball out on third down when he's going for the first down, then Jordan Lewis is going to punch it out. I mean, they're both just looking at the ball, not strapped to his body. 
Now, maybe he got away with it at Duke, but he's not going to get away with it at the NFL. And now that it's out there, everybody is going for it. And he's got to he's got to clean that up. Um, and the inter- I mean, the turnovers are just now it's a rookie year. So I've seen plenty of quarterbacks turn the ball over a lot the rookie year. I do like Daniel Jones, though. I like the way he sees the field. I like the, the way he throws with anticipation. I like his toughness. I like his escapability. I, I'd say right now he's a better quarterback. I, I just think Sam Darnold just looks completely skittish right now. He doesn't believe he's going to be protected. Um, I, I haven't seen a quarterback go this far backwards this quickly in a long time. Um, I don't know even who to compare it to. I mean, I'm sure you could say Baker Mayfield, and I, that might be right. But I, I really like Sam Darnold last month of the season last year, and there's not much that you can really like about him right now. Yeah, I, I just think that, and we both agree that Shermer and Adam Gase at this point are two of the worst coaches in the NFL. But I think the difference you're seeing between like a bad head coach and just a complete train wreck is Daniel Jones versus Sam Darnold. Like Adam Gase is actively hurting Sam Darnold's career. Like he is making Sam Darnold a worse quarterback each week. He, like, he's seeing ghosts because of Adam Gase. So at this point, if I had to pick one of the two, I would take Daniel Jones just because even though the Giants. I don't think Shermer is a long-term answer. They're competitive each week, and you see signs of improvement from Daniel Jones. The, tur- the, the turnovers are absolutely an issue. You mentioned the ball security, the fumbles. Like, he has some bad turnover problems. But I also see him sit back there, read defenses, and deliver accurate passes. And at this point, I'm not even sure I've seen Sam Darnold do that consistently. So if I had to pick out of the two, I think Daniel Jones has a brighter future at this point just because I think Adam Gase is actively hurting Sam Darnold. So... The last one we'll go with, uh, we'll get off the quarterback tip for a second. Antonio Brown. He's found his way back into the news. He tweets today that he's basically never going to play in the NFL again because they're they're taking advantage of him. They're taking advantage of his hard work, and uh, he just he's never going to go back. So true or false, Antonio Brown will stick by his word and never play another snap in the NFL. Oh, I don't think there's any truth to that. I mean, I don't know what Antonio Brown's hobbies are, outside of working out, getting ready for football. Um, I don't know what else he actively would pursue. I mean, he's very young uh, by anybody's standards. And so you got to do something for the next 30 or 40 years. Can't just sit on a big pile of cash. You got to do something. And there's nothing that he's better at than playing wide receiver. And, you know, he's, he's in a mentally, he just looks in a very unstable, like he's in an unstable place. I don't mm-hmm. think he has any sort of mentors around him. And so he just he does just childish, immature things. But I think when this thing all blows over this year and you get to February or March next year and he's sitting around in South Florida and he sees all these guys working out down there that he's used to working out with and they're all getting ready for the season, like the itch is going to come back. Like there's no way he's stepping away from this game without trying – like I don't know what the – I mean, I really don't have any idea what all of the legal issues are here at this point, Elliot. There seems to be yeah. so many from so many. So, I mean, that's got to get cleared up and that's got to get, you know, we, we got to figure out what that is too. But I just saying that these things get taken care of and the, the legal system takes care of the issues. I This guy's going to try to play football again. There's no way that he's walked away from this thing without trying to play. And we all know, Look, it was a disaster. I mean, it was working out in New England until the latest scandal kind of came up. And it looked like by all, I mean, I know it was only 10 days or something, but it looked like it was going to work. 
in New mm-hmm. England. And so, look, you just saw Seattle give another opportunity to a you know a guy that's had all kinds of issues. Like somebody's going to give Antonio Brown an opportunity. It's up to him whether he wants to take advantage of it or not. But he's going to, I believe he's going to play again. So the crazy part about this is earlier in the day, and uh, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday. Earlier in the day, there's reports from Josina Anderson at ESPN, who does a great job, saying that yeah. there's teams interested in signing Antonio Brown and that he's going to meet with the NFL next week and that, you know, assuming that goes well, you could see him sign with the team. And then two hours later, he puts out this tweet. To me, like, Antonio Brown is going to play in the NFL again, but I think it might be a long time until he does. It wouldn't completely surprise me if he signed up to play for, like, the XFL or something like that. Like, if he goes that route and it ultimately won't work out, I agree with you. He's going to have the itch to come back, right? Like, he has enough money probably to never work another day in his life. What are you going to do with all that free time? And I think Antonio Brown loves to play football. For whatever you want to say about him, with all his off-the-field stuff and clearly has some legal issues. It's also clear that he enjoys the game. He's one of the best route runners in the league. He enjoys the, you know, getting better. He enjoys the technical parts of the game. And I think that when when he kind of, a year from now, we'll hear stories about how he's in a better place mentally. And I hate I hate to speculate on where he's at mentally, but we'll, in a year from now, we'll, we'll hear stories about how he's the time off has really helped him. He's more committed than he ever was. Another team will give him a chance because let's be honest, he can step on probably 30 of the 32 teams in the league and be the best wide receiver on that team instantly. He's still that good. Now we'll see what the year off does, but he's still that good of a receiver. But I think like a stint in the NX XFL might happen. I could see some time being taken. I don't think he plays in the NFL this year. You know, if you think about this, Elliot, a year ago, the Steelers were seven, two and one. And they were running away with the AFC North. And Antonio Brown was on his way to catching 15 touchdown passes. And in the absence of Levy and Bell, I mean, he was the star in Pittsburgh a year ago. Like, you go from being a star on a team that's in first place in the AFC North. And they look like they've overcome the loss of Antonio Brown. And James Conner is running the ball well. All this stuff is in place. Like, Mike Tom was up there. And he's given us a good post-game press conference, you know, type nuggets that he usually does. And and, to, and like, there's not a peep about Antonio Brown um, in that place. I mean, maybe one game against Denver, maybe something happened and him and, and Roethlisberger kind of go at it, which can happen. But like a year ago, none of this was even plausible that something like this could happen. So I believe if, in, if it can unravel this quickly in a year, it's, it's capable of kind of going back to that type of place a year from now. So, I believe he's going to play again. I don't know with who. I don't have any incl- – I, I don't talk to any of his people. Uh, but I, I think that when you have worked that hard to become the player that he has become, that he's going to try to get back to that spot again. Yeah, I think a year from now he'll be looking for a job and there will be an NFL team willing to give it to him. And you want to know why, Baldy? Because hiring no. can be a challenge. Hiring can be a challenge. You know that if you listen to the Prevent Defense podcast. And Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered that on her own. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for an education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team, so she found ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. And Antonio Brown will certainly be a qualified candidate for a team that's looking for a receiver. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. 
She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, Baldy, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes when you try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Baldy, week 11 is here in the NFL. The Eagles are off, so I'm on my bye week, so I'll get a chance to watch all the teams around the league live on uh, Sunday. I know you're going to be, I believe, in Cleveland, right? Buffalo, Cleveland? So Buffalo, that'll be, Cleveland. That'll be a good one. Yeah, you mentioned the line on that one certainly is a, uh, is a head scratcher. Well, it's a three-point line in favor of the Browns. And we're talking about the two and six Browns hosting the six and two Buffalo Bills. And I know the Bills aren't a great team, but they play as a team. And there's something about that ability. And they're a well-coached team. They have certain limitations. But you can see the Bills are being built um, in in a good way. Uh, I think Sean McDermott is a very, very sound coach. They don't beat themselves. Um, And I think that they still have a real outside shot. Not outside. They have a real shot at the playoffs this year. Um, Just because of the way that they play. They play close games. They play pretty good defense. Um, and I'm, I'm anxious to see if they go into Cleveland and win this game, we may see Freddie blown out. You know, I mean, we may see some kind of a change right there might happen. I mean, the fans, they've lost so many home games this year. The fans have not been entertained at all. I I mean, this game has a lot of implications in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be one of the more interesting games. One of the best games of the weekend though, Seattle Seahawks at San Francisco 49ers, Potential NFC Championship preview, two of the best teams in, in the league, period. I mean, forget conferences. These are two of the best teams. Uh, head coach of the year candidate, Kyle Shanahan, MVP candidate, Russell Wilson. What are your initial thoughts on this matchup? Well, it's in San Francisco. It's on Monday night. So it's probably the best Monday night matchup that we are going to see or have seen so far. Um, and the 49ers are going to get healthy. I mean, I think they might get their two starting tackles back, Joe Staley. Um, and McGlinchey, and they might get their fullback back, Kyle Juszczyk, and they've been playing without those guys for the better part of the last month and Staley since the second game of the season. So we might see the 49ers' um, offense at full strength. We have seen Seattle's defense struggle. We saw them struggle the second half against the Atlanta Falcons two weeks ago where Matt Schaub threw for 450 yards. We saw Mike Evans catch every single pass possible um, from Jameis Winston last week in Seattle. Uh, they do not have a pass rush. They tried to address it. And I just think right now, the way that Seattle's defense is playing, as good as Russell Wilson has been, and he's been a magician, I don't think that that offense is good enough right now by itself to stop a complete team of the 49ers. I, I look for the 49ers to continue to roll. And I know everybody's looked at the second half schedule for the 49ers, and they're looking at all these, they think all these losses are popping up. I just think the 49ers are a complete team. And the quarterback is getting better. It was a phenomenal pickup, I think, of getting Emmanuel Sanders onto that team. And they're getting healthy. And I just think when a team is young, and they're young, and, you know, they they haven't had any success, and they're having success. But when you have success with a young team, and it's coming from areas of backup offensive tackles and a a cobbled-together fullback position, 
and all that. When you see that happening, it just gives more confidence when Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey and Kyle Juszczyk come back onto the field. Like, they can't wait to play again after watching. And so I just think this team is loaded, and I think there's a good chance that they're just going to continue to get better. Yeah, it's crazy to say for a team that's 8-0 and has already had some impressive wins, but I think this is going to be the 49ers coming out party. Monday night, prime time, against a team everybody respects. I think they have a chance to really make a big statement here. The 49ers are exactly the type of team that can jump all over you and really get the game out of control quickly. I mean, that defensive line, Russell Wilson is very good, obviously. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a great quarterback, but he's also a guy that runs around a lot behind the behind the line of scrimmage. And I think the 49ers defensive line is going to make him pay for doing that. I think the 49ers defense is capable of really giving the Seahawks offensive problems. And then on the flip side, you mentioned the Seahawks defense. Kyle Shanahan is going to have them ready to go for that game. As much as this is a coming out party for the 49ers, I think this is a chance for Kyle Shanahan to really show in prime time against a quality head coach and Pete Carroll what he can do. So I think the 49ers are going to win this game. I think it could be close, but I also think there's a potential for the 49ers to really kind of steamroll the Seahawks here. And I 100% agree with you. I watched the the 49ers against the Cardinals. Emmanuel Sanders is going to go down as one of the better pickups of the season, even including offseason moves. What he does for that offense, I mean, he's an underratedly quick guy. Like, he can really move with the ball. He can do so much for them. He can move all over the field. He's really going to change that offense. So I think the 49ers win this one and potentially win big. Another big game this weekend, Minnesota Vikings at Dallas Cowboys. Huge implications in the NFC here, both for the wild card potentially and then obviously just for the division in terms of the Cowboys wanting to gain a game on the Eagles, who will be sitting this weekend, and then the Vikings are competing for that title. Prime time to me is the key here because I think the Vikings are probably a better team than the Cowboys slightly, but am I going to pick Kirk Cousins in prime time to go into a road game and win against Dak, who for all of his flaws, and we discussed some earlier, is a clutch player. Like I saw in Dallas on, on prime time, him smack the Eagles around. So I think the Cowboys win this game simply because I trust Dak more than I do Kirk Cousins in this spot. Well, all that um, is probably true. I saw Dalvin Cook get shut down last week by the Kansas City Chiefs, and I didn't think that was possible against the Chiefs as woeful as the run defense has been all year. But they did it, and they did it in a way – That was pretty impressive. They really outplayed the uh, Minnesota Viking offensive line. I mean, they just beat them up up front. But I don't – I actually think the Vikings offensive line matches up really well with the Cowboys defensive line because Dallas is a very undersized defensive line. They they rely on quickness. Mike Bennett looks like a good pickup for them right now. But Demarcus Lawrence and Lee Collins and Michael Bennett, they're undersized guys. And that actually plays to the Vikings – Offensive line, because they're not a big offensive line. They rely on quickness. And guys like Garrett Bradbury and Josh Klein, that's who they are. I just think that Dalvin Cook, we haven't seen Dalvin Cook in prime time. Dalvin Cook is an amazing talent. In some mm-hmm. ways, as much as you want to talk, and I don't, and I'm not, I'm not uh, bad-mouthing you here at all, Elliot. I mean, people are going to look at Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott. I want to look at Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook. Because, yeah. you know, there are people that will say that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is the best running back in football, and they're not wrong. I mean, he's been a phenomenal talent. Um, he's averaged almost 100 yards a game in his career. All that kind of stuff is, is, is great. But this Dalvin Cook is a different talent. I mean, this guy, I don't think that you could shut him down two weeks in a row. I think this could be the coming out party for Dalvin Cook. In Dallas, 
on prime time Sunday night. I think we're going to be looking at Dalvin Cook going, wow, this guy is one hell of a talent. And so I and I think Minnesota's defense is really, really good. So and I think they're much better than the Giants where the Cowboys really struggled last week for long stretches of that game. But I really think that Dalvin Cook and the Vikings can go down there and win this game. And I expect yeah. them to do it. Look, I mean, the Cowboys have not shown they can beat in quality opponents yet, right? I mean, their wins have almost all come against really bad teams. And they and when they've played good ones, they've lost. So it's certainly not crazy to think that the Vikings could win this game. And to the Dalvin Cook-Ezekiel Elliott comparison, I agree with you. I think Ezekiel is the better overall running back. But I'll say this. If there's one play where I'm the defense and I have to guard an opposing offense, I'd be more afraid of Dalvin Cook. I mean, that guy is electric. His ability to really turn in big plays, big game-changing plays. Ezekiel just doesn't do that as much. He's very consistent, and he's dangerous, but he's not dangerous like Dalvin is. Dalvin has breakaway speed. I think he's more elusive than Ezekiel Elliott is. So he's certainly in that conversation. I mean, there's three or four running backs in the league right now that are considered the top of the elite, and I think Dalvin Cook is one of those. So certainly a lot of great games this weekend, and I was uh, writing an article for the Eagles uh, this morning, and we're already talking playoff pitcher, which is pretty crazy. Like tiebreakers, who needs who to lose, that type of thing. So as the season rolls on and as these weeks start to shrink, I'm excited to break down all the playoff uh, scenarios with you. Well, you know, I am too, Elliot, and I got to admit, like, look, if you're 4-4 four and four like the Eagles right now, you're in the playoff hunt. Even in five a and, really— 5-4. 5-4, 5-4, 5-4. Yeah. You're in the playoff hunt because um, at some point— from from now on, from the in the in these final eight weeks of the season, um, you have who's going to stack the wins? Who's going to start stacking wins? Somebody's going to get hot. Somebody's going to fall back. Last week, last year at this time, the Carolina Panthers were six and two, and they look like and then they collapsed. The quarterback got hurt. They collapsed. Somebody's going to collapse and go backwards, and somebody's going to step up. And so you can't slip up right now. You can't lose a game that you have won. You can't give a game away. You can't lose a game. Because of special teams. I mean, every single game on anybody's schedule that's four and four or better right now is just magnified. And so mm-hmm. every one of these games, to me, looks like a playoff game. Like you can't give another, you can't give a game away and think that you, you know, if you're hanging around four and five, five and four, and lose a game right now and think that you're a playoff team, you've got to start stacking these wins and you can't let them slip. And so these weeks are going to get really, really good. The, the matchups are going to get better. You're going to get a lot of division games coming up down the stretch. And Thanksgiving is around the corner, and that's kind of when the playoff kick really begins. Yeah, and one of those teams last year that turned it on around this point was the Dallas Cowboys. They got Amari Cooper. They ended up winning like something like eight of their nine last games, won yep. the playoff game, and gotten a push. And I think I think Sunday night, Vikings at Cowboys is a playoff game in a lot of ways. I mean, that's big-time playoff implications. So look forward to discussing it with you next week on the pod. As always, thank you to everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, as always, you can subscribe. If you're a first-time listener, you can subscribe on all your different podcast apps or you can listen to us on the radio.com sports app. And we will be back next week talking about all these matchups and whatever other drama ends up happening in the NFL because there's always drama in this league. Baldy, I will catch you next week. Elliot, good job today, man. Enjoy your uh, your bye week. We'll uh, catch up next week, buddy.